0: It was dark as they arose and got dressed. Gathering their spices, they headed off on the dirt road that led out of the city. As first light broke, the path was lined with many dark shadows, but no shadow could compare with the darkness that hung over their soul that morning. As they walked toward the tomb, once again they wrestled with the terrible scenes that replayed in their minds. They had seen it all. They had seen Jesus tied to a Roman post as a leather whip ripped across his back. They had heard the cruel mocking and seen the crown of thorns. They had seen nails driven through his hands and feet and they had watched their friend as he laboured for every breath and they had seen him die. Grief stricken and still reeling from shock, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, made their way to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. As disturbing as the task would be, he at least deserved a fitting burial. Despite the Sabbath delay, they were committed to this final act out of respect for the one they loved. It was only as they were nearing the tomb that they began to consider the logistics of their mission. Who would roll back the stone so they could gain entry to the tomb? You see, these women were expecting what you would normally expect at a cemetery a grave and a corpse. And they approached it with all the grief and apprehension that you would expect. In their wildest dreams, they were not anticipating the ground to shake and the stone to be rolled away. Or that instead of a corpse, they would encounter an angelic being who would declare that Jesus had risen They were not expecting that the tomb would be empty and they were definitely not expecting to see and talk with Jesus himself. For these women, the resurrection was not what they were expecting. It was not some kind of wish fulfilment. It caught them off guard and yet they were convinced. Later that day, two disciples trudged wearily out of Jerusalem With downcast faces, Cleopas and his friend were trying to get their heads around all that had happened. They had thought he was the Messiah. He was obviously powerful. Wasn't he meant to rescue his people from this oppressive Roman rule? And yet, just like that, he had been crucified, beaten and killed by the very ones he was meant to overcome. Disappointed and depressed, they are heading to Emmaus away from the intensity of Jerusalem, away from the crazy rumours that Jesus had come back to life. They needed to get some space to get their heads around Jesus' death. It wasn't that they were secretly believing that Jesus was alive or that they understood what Jesus had meant when he spoke of his resurrection earlier. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was dead and they just needed to process their shattered hopes. And so when a stranger joined them on the road and they finally realized later that night as he broke bread that it was Jesus, this was not what they were expecting. Like the women, it caught them off guard and yet they were so convinced that although they had already walked a 14-kilometer journey that day and it was nighttime, they packed up their stuff and they headed back to Jerusalem, did the 14-kilometer walk to tell the disciples what had happened. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, all except one. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared in the locked room and ate with the other disciples. And for Thomas, all the stories were far-fetched, as if a dead man would come back to life. He would believe it when he saw it, and quite frankly, he wasn't expecting to see it. A week went by and nothing happened, confirmation that Thomas, unlike the others, had a grip on reality. But then it happened. Not only did Jesus appear to Thomas and the other disciples, but Jesus also repeated what Thomas had said that he would need in order to believe. Put your hands where the nail marks have been and touch the, the wound in my side. And in that moment, Thomas's scepticism and doubt vanished. He was convinced by what he saw, acknowledging Jesus as his Lord and his God. Corinthians tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after his resurrection. They too would have been reeling from the fact that their teacher had died, trying to understand what this was all about. And yet they too were convinced by the resurrected Christ. Probably the hardest one to convince was a man called Saul. Being a Jew and a Pharisee, the testimonies about Jesus had gotten under Saul's skin. See, Jesus threatened the very core of their Jewish beliefs, making audacious claims to be both the Messiah and God. But no sooner had the Pharisees dealt with the Jesus problem and had him crucified than they had to deal with the stories of Jesus' resurrection. Saul was zealous in his determination to stamp out these ridiculous rumours and so he gained permission to imprison any who perpetuated them. The subtitles in our Bibles say that Paul's first missionary journey was to Antioch. Do you know it was actually to Damascus. It was a mission of a different kind. Saul was on a mission to get rid of the church. He hated followers of the way who believed this resurrection nonsense. The last thing Saul expected was that he would meet the resurrected Christ. He didn't believe the stories. He didn't want to believe the stories. And yet, as he fell to the ground, blinded by the resurrected Christ, who questioned what the heck he was doing, perpetuating, uh, persecuting his followers, Saul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. You see, Jesus' resurrection was not some fanciful story made up by people who were so attached to Jesus or his teaching that they couldn't bear the thought of him dead. It wasn't a case of, if you try hard enough, you just might be able to imagine that you've seen him. Nor was it a conspiracy that they made up between them. Jesus' resurrection appearances were unexpected and certainly in Saul's case, even unwanted. And yet they were so convinced that all of the disciples, bar one, died a martyr's death. Each of them were executed because of their unwavering testimony that Jesus was alive and not one of them went back on their word. As we celebrate the resurrection of Christ this Easter, we can be confident that the resurrection was an actual historical event. It really happened. And because of that, we can be confident in the things Jesus claimed. While he was still alive, Jesus spoke very clearly about his death and resurrection. In Mark 8, Jesus explained to his disciples that the Son of Man must... Must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In John 2, Jesus had a run in with the, the Jewish religious leaders and they demanded some kind of miraculous sign. And Jesus said, you want a sign? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The religious leaders, thinking that Jesus was speaking about the temple building, replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the writer of John said the temple that Jesus had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, we're told the disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You see, Jesus' resurrection proved to the to the disciples, and also to us, that the things that Jesus claimed can be trusted. But he didn't just speak of his own resurrection. He spoke also of ours. And so in John eleven twenty-five, 25, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. In John 14:19, Jesus said to his disciples, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In John 6:40, Jesus tells a whole crowd, For it is my Father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. See, Jesus' resurrection was a game changer because he rose from the dead. All who put their faith and trust in him can be confident of their own resurrection. And as Steve mentioned a few weeks ago, that conviction of eternal life gives us a completely different perspective on suffering and all that is going on in our world right now. I'm a visual person and I often think in pictures. And so I reckon the resurrection is a bit like a backdrop on a stage. Steve and I haven't been to many theatre productions but um, we have started going to the ballet in recent years. Actually, last year Steve even admitted to enjoying it. Guys, if you heckle him about that, there is going to be trouble. But anyway, one of the things that never fails to astound me at the ballet is just how much the mood of an ordinary stage can change because of its backdrop. Like it's like it goes from this to this. The backdrop influences how you experience everything else that is happening on the stage, yeah? Church, whatever is going on in our world right now, it is set against this backdrop of the hope of resurrection. The backdrop of hope that is painted in Revelation 21 and 22 of a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more droughts, no more bushfires, no more floods, no more evil, no more injustice, no more fights over toilet paper, no more domestic violence, no abuse, no conflict in homes or between countries, no recessions, no job losses, no financial stress, the trials and stresses that make this life hard are not part of the backdrop of coming hope that is painted in scripture and guaranteed by Christ's resurrection. The invitation this Easter is to lift up your eyes. The hardships that we are going through right now, that which we keep fixing our attention on through news feeds and social media can cause us to to forget that we actually live in light of this backdrop of hope. The picture isn't this, it's this. Notice that our suffering is still in the picture. It's just that it has found right perspective. Jesus is inviting you today to lift up your eyes. There is a glorious future that awaits all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, today is a great day to do it. The Lord began planting the concept of this message in my heart back in January as I was reading through 1 Peter in my daily devotions. And i just love to read these verses over you. Maybe just close your eyes right now just to shut out distractions and just receive these words as water for your soul. 1 Peter 1, 3-6 All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. I don't know what your backdrop has been lately, but today I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can now live with great expectation. We can be truly glad because there is wonderful joy ahead. The trials that we are going through right now, they're real and they matter. But they are set against this backdrop of hope, the renewal of all things when Christ comes. You know, sometimes I wonder whether we we miss out on this sense of joyful anticipation of the hope that is ours because we don't give it much attention. It's like we, we live our lives in the here and now and we don't really think about all that Christ has gained for us for the future. Perhaps it's a bit like planning a holiday. You know, the more you're involved in the planning of it and the more, you know, you're thinking about all that is to come, the greater your excitement for that holiday is. And so today I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in this future hope that we have, to pay attention to it. And it might mean that today, you know, you just take time to to imagine what is it going to be like? Talk about it as a family. Or listen to songs that remind you. Or reread Revelation 21 and 22. If you're artistic, paint a picture or, or draw or, or write music, something that captures this sense, this expectation of hope that we have. Or phone a friend and have a conversation about the things that you're looking forward to about it. If you're a reader, you could download um, this book. It's, called, it's by John Eldridge. It's called All Things New, and Steve and I have um, just read this and been so um, rejuvenated as we've been reminded afresh of this coming hope that is ours. What I'm saying is that would you make choices today to focus on this backdrop of hope? And maybe today that also means that you also make choices that reduce the attention that you're paying to the present Reduce the attention that you're giving to the present trials that we're going through. Reduce the time that you're giving to things that distract and entertain, and, and today, lift up your eyes to see this hope. Do you know our future hope has already begun? Just make choices so that this hope today might be something that it becomes to the forefront in your mind. And it puts everything else in perspective on this Easter Sunday. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the reality of hope that we have because of your death and resurrection. For all that is happening across the world and also our own circumstances. We pray that today you would help us lift our eyes. Holy Spirit, as the revealer of truth, would you help us to lay hold of the truth of this hope that this life and this world is not the end of the story but that you will make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. Help us to grasp that truth. Help us to imagine what it will be like. And thank you, Lord, for the promise of new and eternal life. Thank you that for all who have put their faith and trust in you, that eternal life has already begun. And if you haven't acknowledged Jesus as Lord and received that gift of forgiveness through the cross and new life through his resurrection, I just want to give you a moment right now to do that. Just acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Acknowledge that you've been living life your way. But that from this point on, you want to... Turn around and live life God's way with him as Lord of your life. Jesus, thank you that you made life and hope possible, that you made the way simple. Today we choose to lift up our eyes and enjoy the hope that we have in you. Amen.